It's great to be together with everyone today, and uh, thank the Lord for uh, the church. It's a wonderful gift, is it not, to gather together with God's people to worship the Lord uh, together and uh, to gather around His Word uh, together, and that's what we get to do uh, right now. I don't know how much you think about what Jesus is doing right now, if that's something that crosses your uh, thought path throughout any given day or any week, but what is Jesus doing right now? See, as we come to Christmas time, I think the reality of Christ is more and more present in our minds, but it's often present in our minds um, as we look back uh, 2,000 years to the time when Christ was born. And there is historical reality and historical um, uh, writing that connects us to the person of Jesus Christ that was born as a baby uh, to Joseph and Mary uh, in the city of Bethlehem. And so it is a historical fact, and we can go back there, and we can rest in the past reality of what Christ did then. We can also become a little bit nostalgic from time to time and think, boy, it would be great to have been there, maybe to have been with the shepherds as they um, saw the angels in the heavens, or maybe to be amongst the wise men, maybe their servants that got to walk with them and finally find Jesus. Uh, maybe it was wonderful to be part of the family in which uh, the, the baby was born into and be one of the ones that got to hold that little baby. Nonetheless, there is a historical reality to the birth of Christ. We also, though, are very good at thinking ahead to what Christ will do when He comes back. Uh, in fact, even in the days in which we live, it's amazing the number of conversations I've had, and I'm sure you've had them, with people who said, I just wish Jesus would come back. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. It's got to be nearer today than it was yesterday, and of course it's nearer today than it was yesterday. But we think of Jesus in those two poles, one in the past, in history, and one in the future when Christ returns. But again, what is Christ doing right now? See, as we go through Advent, and this is a season of Advent, uh, Advent reminds us of the first coming of Christ, and then it points us to the second coming of Christ. But there's a gap that takes place in what happens between those two Advents. And so over the, uh, the, the remaining four weeks, Pastor Barry and Pastor Andrew started us down this path, I want us to think just a little bit about what Christ is doing right now, to reflect on His work on our behalf, to reflect on where He is and why He is there, to reflect on the glory of Christ. That's what we've called this series, the present glory of God in Christ. In other words, to remind us that Christ is God, and because He is God, He reflects and is, in fact, the very glory of God. We get a glimpse, at least, of the glory of God in Christ right now when we go to the book of Revelation, which is a description of Christ as He is now in heaven. And Revelation, John sees this. He heard a voice. And then it says that I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like a son of man, dressed in a long robe with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace. And his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was shining like the sun at midday. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. That was John's attempt to describe the present glory of Christ right now as he is in heaven and right now as he walks amongst the churches in this world. 
And these verses describe that very presence of God now in Christ. As, as I say, as He walks among us, as He works on behalf of us, as He, as he warns us, as he, as he encourages us, as He gives us hope. Right now, God is among us through Christ these days. But what do I mean by the work of Christ? Sometimes we talk about the work of Christ, and I just want to give us sort of a little bit of an understanding. Christ is actually working. Christ did things, Christ does things, and Christ will do things. And so when we talk about when Christ first came to earth, he came to earth because he had a work to do. And that work was to perfectly obey the Father and offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That is a job, so to speak. That is a work. And so Christ perfectly obeyed the Father. Christ walked before men and perfectly spoke the words of the Father to them. Christ gave up his life for us. He redeemed us. He ransomed us. He reconciled us. That was the redemptive work of Christ when he was here on earth. But what is Christ doing now? What work is he doing now while he's in heaven? Well, that's what we want to focus on as we look about the priesthood of Christ, as we look about the reign of Christ, as we consider how Christ is right now interceding for us, as he's advocating for us, as he's a mediator for us, as he's our sympathizer, as he's reflecting the glory of God. He is right now at the right hand of the Father working to bring about the perfection of his people. And then, what is the work that he will do when he returns? Well, when he returns, he will conquer finally and fully all the kingdoms of the world. He will take even death and he will wrap it all up in one package of submission to him and he will hand it to the Father. And so he will complete his redemptive work when he comes back at the end of the age. And so this is what we mean when we talk about the work of Christ. And then, let me just... This is all going to make sense. Just hang with me or follow with me. We've often talked here about being saved or about salvation and the fact that salvation is not so much an event as it is a process and the bible talks about our salvation in three different tenses it says that we are saved we are being saved and we will be saved and the present or, or the work of christ relates to each three of those aspects of our salvation and so we were saved based on the application of the work of Christ when he is here on earth. We are saved because he has redeemed us, because he has ransomed us, because he has died for us, because his blood has washed us from all of our sins. And so we are justified through Christ. That's a past tense reality. We are saved because of the work of Christ when he was here on earth. But how are we being saved? Well, we're being saved because we're not yet perfect, because we are not yet home. And so Christ's work in heaven now is to complete that work, is to finish that work, is to bring about the fullness of our salvation. We need Christ to complete what was started in us when we put our first faith in Christ. And then we will be saved, right, when Christ comes back. That's the end of it all. When Christ comes back, the dead will be raised. Those of of us who are alive will be caught up together to meet Christ in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Our redemption will be complete spiritually and physically. Our souls will be made perfect. Our bodies will be made perfect. The work of salvation will be done. So we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. 
And the work of Christ applies to each three of those realities in our life. And so it's this middle part that I want us to just think about as God's people a little bit. The, the fact that we are being saved and how is Christ's work on our behalf now helpful to us, necessary for us who are being saved. First, I just simply want to remind us that the present glory of God is seen in Christ. Pastor Barry took us through Exodus chapter uh, 34, which is a description of the present glory of God and there, Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He, he asked God, show me your glory. And so this is what happened, what transpired there. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious. This is the glory of God. The glory of God is seen in his mercy and his grace. Slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshipped. This is not a full revelation of the glory of God, is it? Because in the Psalm, Psalm 19, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Do you want to see the glory of God? When you step outside, look on the mountains and see the fresh whiteness on the mountains and just be captured by the glory of God. Or hop in a boat and go out in the ocean and see the glory of God in the waves and the islands and the shores. Or take a, a walk in the woods and see the glory of God in the trees and the creation that He has made. Or watch a, a National Geographic on a safari in Africa somewhere and see the glory of God in the animals that He has made. We see the glory of God in the things that He has made. We see the glory of God in the Word that He has given us. We see the glory of God in Christ that He has sent to us. But we see the glory of God also in His mercy and in His grace and in His slowness to anger and His forgiveness. And these things are revealed to us in Christ. That was Christ. As Christ walked amongst us, He was gracious and merciful. He was forgiving. He judged those who sinned and He spoke woes against them. Christ was the present glory of God here on earth. But as Christ has gone into heaven, He has now received His glory back. In His prayer in John chapter 17, it's a beautiful prayer just as He's about to go to the cross. He says, this is what He prays near the end of the prayer. He says, Father, I desire that those You have given Me may be with Me where I am. That in itself is part of the present work of Christ now. Getting us there. Interceding on our behalf so that we are with Him in His glory. But he says this, he says, Father, I desire that those You have given Me will be with Me where I am. Then they will see My glory. Right now the glory of Christ is veiled to us, but in heaven the glory of Christ is revealed to all who are there. I was thinking of this in relation to art as we did his service yesterday. Art now is seeing the glory of Christ. Madge, who we did her funeral a little while ago, Madge now has seen the glory of Christ. 
Marvin, who we did his funeral a couple weeks ago, has seen the glory of Christ. All those who have died in Christ before us and are now in heaven have seen the glory of Christ. That is Christ's prayer, that when we are with him, we will see his glory. John 17, 26 says, I have made known to them your name. This is Jesus saying, and I will continue to make it known. Jesus continues to make his name known to us. He continues to reveal himself to us. He continues to make his name known around the world so that people can trust in him. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. I continue to make known my name to them so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Why does Christ want us to see his glory? He wants us to see his glory because when we do, our hearts will burst with love and adoration for him. He says, that's how you think of me, Father. When you see me in all of my glory, when you see the fullness of the deity in me and my character as we share it together, as you look at me, Father, and you see that you love me and your heart is overwhelmed with love for me, Christ says, I want the love of the Father that he has for me in me and in you. This is why he wants us to see his glory so that our hearts will burst with love for him. It's like he says, Father, let them see me as you see me. Father, let them love me as you love me. Pretty amazing thought, is it not? So this is the desire of my heart at Christmas for me and for you. That together, as we see the glory of God in Christ, the present glory of God in Christ, our love and affection for Christ will grow. We understand something of the present glory of Christ by reflecting on the three offices of Christ. And this is just a little bit of background that will help us think about what Christ is doing right now. The Bible talks about three main offices that were part of Israelite life. The office of a prophet and a priest and of a king. And none of the men that God appointed in those roles during the time of Israel's history ever fulfilled them perfectly. They all pointed ahead to one who would be the final prophet, the final priest, and the king of kings and the lord of lords. But each of, each of those offices tell us something about our need for God and how God meets that need. Each of those offices is critical for us to relate to God. They reveal something of the present glory of God in Christ. Let me ask you, when was the last time you thought about a prophet? Do you think about that very often in your life? Do you think about your need for a prophet? We've removed ourselves so far from biblical language and biblical need that we don't think in these terms. We might think of a prophet. Some of you are old enough to remember David Koresh. Um, some of you are old enough to remember Charles Manson. And we think of those men, we think of nut jobs. We think of, we think of prophets that were just bizarre um, and men that just led people astray. What about when you thought about a king or a priest? When's the last time you thought about a priest? Do you ever think about your need for a priest? Or does that sound bizarre to you? You think, well, no, priests go with, with um, uh, Buddhism. 
You know, and they, they wear those orange robes and they carry bowls around and, and, and they get food in those bowls. And, 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 and those priests then sort of serve the people. But I don't need a priest. What about a king? People move to Canada to get away from the monarchy. When's the last time you've thought about a king in your life? Wait, think about a king in uh, one of the old myths of the Robin Hood or the Knights of the Round Table and King Arthur. And we think to ourselves, well, yeah, that, that was a cool king. But that was like, that's a myth. And that's even a long time ago. And all the examples of kings that I know, they're not really that great. So what is this stuff about a prophet, priest, and king? See, this is one of the ways in which we know God is real. And, or if God is real, we better understand these three offices. We say around here often, God is real and that changes everything. So if God is real, how are you going to hear from him? How are you going to talk to him? How are you going to obey him? You see, the role of a prophet was to speak the words of God to men and women. The role of the prophet is to tell us what God wants us to know. The role of the prophet is to speak the very words of God to us. And so in Hebrews it says that in these last days, God has spoke finally through His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ, everything that He said was only what the Father told Him to say. He fully revealed the Father to us. And so we need somebody to bring us out of our ignorance, to bring us through all the deception in the world in which we live, so that we might hear God. And Christ is God's perfect and final prophet. But what about a priest? If God is real, how do you ever think that you're ever going to approach God? Do you think that we can just saunter into God's presence and, hey God, here I am, it's great to meet you, glad you made me. Well, the Bible tells us that there is this gulf, this insurpassable gulf, this span that we can never make that is a gap between us and God. And that we need somebody to represent us before God because we can't represent ourselves. There's nothing that I can bring that will allow me to go into God's presence and He will accept me. I, I can't have enough money. I can't live a good enough life. Um, I can't do enough things that, that will earn me the right to go into God's presence. I need somebody to represent me, to take me into God's presence. And that is why we need a great high priest. We need Christ to bring us into the presence of God and to reconcile us before God. We need Christ to deal with our sins. We need Christ to take away the barriers that exist between us and God so that God might accept us as we come into His presence. The book of Hebrews is a, a book that has a lot to say about our high priest and why we need a high priest. And why do we need a king? We need a king to quell our rebellious hearts. We need a king that we want to submit to. We need a king that reigns in righteousness and peace. We need a king that is fair and just. We need a king to lead us out of our rebellion and our corruption. 
We ought never to say, I don't want that man to rule over me. What we ought to say is, King Jesus, help me submit willingly from my heart to you. Make no mistake, Jesus is a king. And he is reigning over this world at present. And so when we think about these three offices, God has spoken to us through Christ fully and finally. God has given us Christ to reconcile us to him. And Christ is the perfect king to reign over us. And so when do these offices find their fulfillment? Well, the office of prophet was largely fulfilled when Christ was here on earth. He continues to speak to the church now through his word and, and, and through those who teach and preach. But it, that office of prophet was primarily fulfilled when Christ was on earth. The office of priest and king are presently the work of Christ now. Do you ever think about that? That right now, Christ is acting as your priest before the Father. Right now, Christ is our King, reigning over not only our lives, but this whole world, until He will finally bring everything under subjection to Him, even death, and He will present them to the Father. So right now, the prophet of or the office of priest and king, are the work of Christ in heaven. And all of those began when Christ ascended into heaven. The, the ascension of Christ is something that we need to think about. Christ is right now in heaven. When he finished his work and he lived his 40 days here on earth, he ascended into heaven. He was caught up. The disciples watched him go up into heaven. And as one individual wrote, says, if there's any dimension of the life and work of Christ that is woefully neglected in the life of the church today, I believe it is the ascension of Christ. Why is it important for us to think about the ascension of Christ? Well, I think you're beginning to get hints of it because through the ascension of Christ, he fulfills his office of our priest. And through the ascension of Christ, he is now placed on the throne, reigning over this world. Do you know what happened when Christ returned to heaven? His glory was returned to him. See, when Christ came to earth, he set aside his glory. He set aside the, the it was veiled is a better way to put it. He took on human flesh. He took on the form of a servant. But as he prays to God in John 1, 5, to his Father, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may, be, that may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The ascension of Christ restored to him his eternal glory. It's a wonderful thing to know that. It's a way of us thinking about Christ. Secondly, the ascension of Christ inaugurated his high priestly ministry. 
It's now he went into heaven as the priest in the Old Testament once a year went into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people. Christ now is ascended into heaven into the temple on our behalf to offer his sacrifice and to ever intercede on our behalf. Christ right now, loved ones, is acting as our high priest representing us before God. So then let's just spend the final couple minutes talking about one of the acts of the high priest, and that's intercession. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. How are we being saved? This is what makes the intercession of Christ so wonderful. This is what makes the ascension of Christ or the intercession of Christ a revelation of His glory to us. Because of our sinfulness, because we have not yet been made perfect, we have an ongoing need. What do we say when we... Why do we pray what John tells us to pray? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us your sins. We're recognizing that while we are saved, we still sin. We recognize that while God has redeemed us, we still need to be represented to God. We still need to be cleansed. The work of the high priest in the Old Testament was one of helping the people maintain a relationship with a holy God who had already saved them. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You remember Peter complained and he says, well, not just my feet, then my whole body. And Jesus says, no, no, I don't need to wash your whole body. I just need to wash your feet. In other words, what he was saying is, Peter, you're saved, but you get sullied, you get dirty. Your feet are a representation of what happens as you walk in the world. You still sin. And I need to wash your feet. I need to cleanse you. You need to be made right and perfect. You need to be represented again before God. And so Christ, right now, represents us as we fall and He picks us up and He washes us off with His blood and He presents us again to the Father on the basis of His righteous, perfect sacrifice. He intercedes on our behalf. The death of Jesus on our behalf was a wonderful thing, was it not? Those of you who have experienced the forgiveness of sins, the freedom that comes with that, the joy that comes with it, it's amazing. But can you imagine what his present work means to you? Are you not thankful that he hasn't left you sort of back when you were saved and says, figure it out now? Get a good job because you're going to have to pay a lot to God to maintain a relationship with him. Serve well in the church because God expects a lot from you now. No, Jesus doesn't let us go. He walks with us every step of the journey until his work in us is complete. That is the role of our high priest, Jesus Christ, right now. If his death could redeem us, from Satan's claim upon us. Imagine what his life is doing for us now. 
as he says, no one and nothing can snatch you out of my hand. As Jude says, he is able to keep you from falling and to present you, what? Faultless. This is what Christ does on our behalf now. He ever intercedes for us. He ever pleads before the Father on our behalf. These are the passages that I wanted to read um, from the Scriptures on us um, for us. First one is uh, Hebrews chapter 7, uh, maybe starting at verse 23. The former priests, the priests under the law in the Old Testament, were many in number because they were prevented by death con- for continuing the office. They died, so there had to be a new one. They died. Another one had to be appointed. But it says, He, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Just stop there for a moment. If you're here today and you're trying any other way to get to God apart from Christ, you'll never get there. I don't say this with... with, with with any kind of malice, or it's more out of love. It's more out of scriptural truth. You cannot get to heaven any other way but through Christ. So ask God to show you Christ. Ask God to reveal to you why it is you need Christ to get to the Father. And so he says, those who draw near to God through him He is able to save to the uttermost since he always lives to make intercession for them. Does that not resonate with you? I sin so often. It it gets me down. But God doesn't leave me alone or you alone when you sin. He's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. This is why the humanity of Christ is so important. He's able to sympathize with us. That doesn't mean that he knows what it's like to sin. He knows the weight of temptation. He knows the the frailty of the human body. He knows how, how, how vulnerable we are to the deceptions of the devil, how appealing the world is to us. He was tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. And therefore, he can intercede on our behalf so that we can go to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in the time of need. We need somebody to take us to God, don't we? It's the priest through his sacrifice that cleanses our conscience. It's the priest through his sacrifice that deals with the shame that we experience when we sin. I know some among here right now are suffering terribly. I know some have been tempted and even sinned in this past week. I know there are some that are facing stuff that is almost unbearable to you. And I know the temptation that we have sometimes to say in our own hearts, well, nobody understands me. Nobody actually walks in my shoes. Nobody has experienced what I experience. And then we take the next step and we, clo- and we conclude, Jesus, you don't even know what I'm going through. You don't know how strong this temptation is for me. And you don't know 
the depth of my sin. But the Bible tells me that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. So he reaches far beyond the extent of my sin and pulls me back. Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he has been tempted in every way as we are. Loved ones, believe the scripture, not the devil or your circumstances. Jesus knows what you're going through. And that is why he can ever intercede on your behalf before the Father. Hebrews 9, 24. This is such, it's been such an encouragement for me to work through this. It's in my own heart. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. In other words, Christ's priestly ministry didn't take place here on earth. But he has entered into heaven itself, into the very temple of God in heaven, of which things on earth were copied. He has entered into the very presence of God right now, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You don't have to wrestle alone. You don't have to try and figure out your stuff by your own efforts. You don't have to come up with an own solution to reconcile yourself before God. Christ will take you to God. Christ regularly presents His finished work before God on your behalf. Christ knows what you're going through. Christ intercedes on your behalf. Have you ever asked Christ to pray for you? You can. I'm so thankful for the prayer chain that we have in this church. I'm so thankful for my wife who prays regularly for me. But from time to time I ask Christ, they say, Christ, pray for me. Because Christ understands things about me that nobody else does. And he knows how to perfectly represent me to the Father. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name I love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. You know, the, the priest in the Old Testament used to have a robe that they would put on. And in a few places, the names of all the tribes of Israel were put. And one of them, it describes, he would go in and he would carry the names of Israel on his shoulder. In another place, it describes that he would carry the names of Israel over his heart. Do you know when Christ goes into the presence of God on your behalf, he has your name on his shoulder. He has your name over his heart. And he prays exactly what we need. I was thinking of this, and we close. What a relief the, the intercession of Christ, is it not? Because it's perfect. It's what we need. And based on the finished work of Christ and his intercession on our behalf, our consciences are cleansed. Our shame is erased. What an assurance of perseverance is the intercession of Christ. Christ is praying for you that you will get there. 
And he knows that you will get there because he knows exactly what to pray for you. Remember when, when he's talking to Peter and he says, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you. It didn't mean that Peter wouldn't fall, but it meant that he wouldn't fall finally. It meant that Christ would pick him up, that Christ would bring him to a sentence, that Christ would forgive him, that Christ would bring him back to God and forgive his sins, and that Peter would get there. What an assurance the intercession of Christ is on our behalf. What an assurance of perfection it is that God who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it, that Christ will supply what is lacking in our faith, that Christ is both the founder and the finisher of our faith. Christ knows what we need to make it. And Christ is praying that we will get what we need to make it. Be encouraged, loved ones. You have a great high priest who carries you into the presence of God and intercedes for you there while you live here on earth that you'll get there and that God will receive you and accept you. Oh, love that will not let me go. Father, we come before you today and I'm thankful that Christ not only completed a work for me 2,000 years ago. And I look forward to the work that Christ will complete in me when he returns in all his glory. But I'm thankful right now for the work that Christ is doing on, our, my, on my behalf and the behalf of all those who have trusted in him. You are a great high priest, Christ. Thank you for your intercession on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.